Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Monday. Let me get this mic where I want it. It is Monday. It's June the 12th, and we've got a packed show. Mostly, I've got a packed mind. It's been uh, a couple of days since we've had a solo show. We had some great guests last week. You got to hear from Savannah Hernandez. You got to hear from Matthew Lohmeyer. And we had Steve Friend on for Friday. So three for three, bringing on guests. I wanted to do a connection about some of the stuff that's been going on. It's been a wild week in the news. Uh, and so this weekend was no exception. We'll talk about some of the things that happened over the weekend. We'll talk about some of the news that broke at the end of last week because I think they're important. And uh, maybe a perspective on where we're going with all this, which is to say, I think it's going to get kind of rough. Before we do any of that, I want to say a uh, thanks and welcome to all my friends over there in the live chat. I see uh, Eric has joined us. He's going to be moderating. We've got Ryan Matta in there also moderating and all the rest of you that I've seen this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. You can join us live on Rumble at 930 Eastern Time. That's 830 in Texas, America on every Monday, Wednesday and Friday here on Rumble. Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin slash live if you want to find the newest live show or you can just subscribe. Please go ahead and do that if you have not done it already. You can hit the like button and you will know when we go live and you can join us in the live chat and say good morning to Cookie who was there last night. Folks, I had a really interesting uh, and sort of strange last night. I was up later than I planned on it because I went into a Twitter space. And if those of you who don't use Twitter, and I don't blame you, they've created this uh, this space that you can go into. It's a part of the app. You open it up and it's sort of like an old school chat line. It's kind of like AOL used to be, uh, except it's verbal. And so you have the emojis, you have the uh, the profile pictures of all these different people. Certain folks are allowed to speak. And a pretty interesting opportunity came up. We had a woman named Reality Winner. And that name probably is familiar to you because she was convicted of the Espionage Act. She's in fact the last person to serve time for the Espionage Act. And I got a chance to talk to her I'm going to tell you more all about that right after we talk about our sponsors. Let's start off real quick with Patriot Coolers. Uh, Patriot Coolers. You can go to PatriotCoolers.com. You can use promo code Kyle. That's K-Y-L-E. You'll get 10% off. You'll see right there they have a whole host of different uh, hard-sided, double-walled, vacuum-sealed tumblers that keep your beverages cold or warm. Right now I'm in the cold mood because we are in the middle of the summer in Texas. It's an excellent company. They're based out of Houston. They have a patriotic logo. They say Patriot on all of their their items here. And here's my personal one right there. This is one in, I think, Army Green is what they call it. It's kind of an OD green. It matches my, uh, my uh, Olympic bar that I have from Rogue, which I'll probably take a picture of when I go out and do my workout later on and throw that up. We did a, a little discussion on uh, this weekend about everyday carry. I, I took a picture of my Patriot tumbler and rolled out with it, and I also showed... This is my uh, my Glock 19. This is my personal Glock that I carry every day with an RMR on it. People had questions. They were questions about what do you carry and how do you carry. And I carry a little knife with me every day that's made by Benchmade. So folks wanted to know, you know, what, what is the right carry? And I'll tell you this. There was a couple of women that, that hit me up and uh, asked what sort of weapon systems are the right things to carry. And I'll tell you this. This is Kyle's personal advice. There's no professionalism other than my experience. Carry what you'll carry, what you can draw comfortably, what you can aim comfortably, what you can shoot comfortably and accurately, and that you will actually bring with you everywhere you go. 
if you want to be a concealed carrier in this world, there was some pushback from folks saying, you know, the world's not that safe. The reason that we wear seatbelts, the reason that we wear airbags is because there's the possibility of danger, uh, not because you are experiencing danger at all times. So you do it as a hedge, as a uh, as an insurance policy, because the world's full of uncertainty. And if you want to be one of the people that is a sheepdog that looks out for your fellow man, be that person. Uh, and one of the things I carry every day is a Patriot Tumblr. Uh, Kyle, dot, I'm sorry, Kyle is the uh, promo code KYLE. Put it on there, you get 10% off. It's $50. $50 shipping is always free, or 50 or more, you're going to get free shipping. And we're really appreciative. And the second sponsor that I have, I'll just bring them up right, right now. There it is. It's catholicvote.org. You can see right on the front page there, as you're looking on the Rumble chat, they have a op option to sign in for the email and your zip code and get kicked in to the loop. The loop is keeping you in the loop. That's what it is. Um, and catholicvote.org is America's top Catholic advocacy group. They are in the fight for faith, freedom, and family, or faith, family, and freedom in that order, I guess. You've got uh, an, an excellent way to keep track of local news and then also sort of national news that's going to affect politics. And politics is what's driving this particular podcast today. That's what's going on on our sponsorships. We're really appreciative to both of them. So Cookie's going to give me a hard time about uh, about optics. I'll tell you what, if you're not carrying a gun with an optic on it right now, this is totally aside, but I think it's really important. If you are not carrying a handgun with an optic on it, you need to consider that nobody is training iron sights only on a rifle and that pistol optics are the way to go. The reason why is that for thousands of years of human evolution, we've always been target focused. And this is actually going to play into everything we're talking about here. We've always looked at the threat directly. And in a tough moment, in a moment when everything is uh, under pressure, you're going to face the threat. And you want to be able to articulate what the hands, what the waistband, what the demeanor of the person was, and why you had to defend yourself in the way that you did. That's why you're target focused. An optic allows you to do that. A front sight, an iron sight, which I got some hard times by some guys that have spent all their life training with iron sights. You're not going to be less good at shooting if you have a dot. If you're a good shooter, you'll always be a good shooter. The dot just allows you to be much more precise in what you're looking at. It allows you to be target focused. It's really important for law enforcement. So any of my friends out there that are military and law enforcement, if you have the opportunity or the option under your department rules to carry a red dot on your pistol, I am a huge advocate of it. I've spent my own money to go and train. Um, I have them on almost all my pistols. I want to say I have like 13 different guns that have optics on them. So do that. Upgrade your life. When you can take a shot at 50 yards that most people would struggle uh, to take at you know 20 yards, you want to be that person in the same time frame. Because that's what people who are looking to you to defend them are expecting. All right. Let's not get too uh, deep in the weeds on this kind of thing. Everyday carry is something we may do a whole show on at some point in time. Today, I want to talk about the indictment of Donald Trump a little bit. Everyone's talked about it. So let's get into it just a bit. I brought up the, the actual indictment here. This is something you can find on storage.courtlistener.com. This is going to be the actual paper that, uh, that they submitted. Uh, right now, you are looking at page 28 of the indictment. This is the actual counts. And the most serious of those counts is under 18 U.S.C. 793 section E. That's the fifth section in there. So we're going to talk about what section E says, but let's just look at some of the, uh, the counts here. There are something like 38 counts in this 49-page indictment. And of those counts, 
The ones that are the most serious are going to be this mishandling of classified documents under the Espionage Act. We're going to we're going to show you just how little of the statute is involved in what they have accused former President Trump of uh, being guilty of. But here it is. It's uh, I'm just going to read it right off the top. Donald J. Trump having unauthorized possession of access to or control over documents related to the national defense did willfully retain the documents and failed to deliver them to the officer an employee of the United States entitled to receive them. That is, Trump, without authorization, retained at the Miralago Club documents relating to the national defense, and here are the following ones. So they've got a top-secret document that's dated uh, from May of 2018, a White House intelligence briefing. You've got some uh, some other ones here that are more intelligence briefing on foreign countries. You've got a couple of them that are top-secret, secret, secret uh, sorry, they're SI, which is the the uh, compartment that they are gathered under and they are no foreign and FISA. So they're telling you how they are, how they were actually uh, originated military capabilities of foreign country, handwritten annotations and black marker. They're just going to detail out all of these particular things. And we're going through, there's count eight, count nine. These are all documents. So these are all going to be charged under that same statute. If you go further down, we're going to just keep rolling. There's 15 of them now. So a whole page uh, again, all of them mark either secret or top secret no foreign means that they are not being they cannot be uh, sent to any foreign country including those are, that are allies some of them will say things like five eyes that's a uh, sort of a different status so you keep going on here 22 um and the total number of these particular counts is 31 and you'll notice at the bottom in the middle of this page if you're not watching on rumble you won't be able to see it but it says all in violation of title 18 united states code section 793 subsection e so 31 counts of document charges. And then there's a couple of charges that are going to relate to his body man or his personal assistant, whose name was Walty Nauda. There's a couple of pieces on there. They, they allege basically a conspiracy. Uh, and then they also allege the withholding of documents, which were the same things that we were just talking about, that they were conspiring and corruptly uh, concealing these documents from the FBI. And then on top of all of that, they're talking about the fact that uh, they made some sort of decision. Some of the uh, the quotes in this particular in this particular indictment are actually sort of ridiculous. And essentially he brought some of these things back to Miralago. And when I say he, I mean the general service administration packed up all of the things that were in the white house that were going to stay with president Trump. And then all those things got moved down to Miralago. And then all of those things were stored in some way, shape or form. And there's supposed to be a negotiation under the presidential records act that basically has the national archives come down and decide what they can or can't have. And they go back and forth and rather than continue in negotiations, and we're actually seeing some very interesting rumblings out of the former assistant director of the Washington field office. His name was Steve D'Antuano. Many of you remember Steve D'Antuano. He was also the special agent in charge of the Detroit field office under the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping. So Steve D'Antuano moved on, handled the, uh, the riots that happened in 2020 and uh, the January 6th riot of 2021. And he was the one that was responsible ultimately for allowing Washington field office agents to head on down to Florida in a very, very unusual move. Because typically what you would do is you would cut what's called a lead and you would have the agents locally serve it. And uh, instead, they had Washington field office agents from the counterintelligence squad, counterintelligence 14, probably some others as well. Folks that I used to work on the same floor with went down and conducted this search of Miralago, and this is the the ultimate result of that, which is that they indicted the president on these 31 counts of documents. 
pretty troubling because Steve D'Antuano says that he resisted that that instinct and that he thought that they should have sought consent, which they very well may have gotten, in which case they wouldn't have had to do the heavy hand. They would have been invited in in the same way that you saw they asked for consent from President Biden and they were able to search all of his different offices. It is very likely that President Trump would have agreed to that sort of situation and come in without any of the fanfare. Perhaps he wouldn't have. Perhaps he wanted the fanfare. Perhaps he wanted to have that search warrant optic, which is pretty awful and uh, obviously has moved his profile up much higher. Um, about the only thing that I think this indictment is going to definitely accomplish is that it's going to lock in the nomination for President Trump. And unfortunately for all of us, I think that there is a time for a primary, and it is a really important part of the process, and we may lose some of those. We may lose some of the discussion that's supposed to happen during a primary because the primary season, as much as it is going to ordain one person to go forward and carry the torch into the uh, the presidential election on the two-party system, it also allows us to negotiate what the platform is. And as a non-registered Republican, I'm not a Republican, I just sort of tend to vote that way, I like to see as much competition as possible because the competition of ideas are really important. And it helps us suss out what is and what is not important to the voters. And the strength of any given candidate based on the platform that they are putting forward also helps eventually move the national platform forward. We're not going to see that in the same way. We're going to see that uh, I think President Trump locks this thing up with no problems, and that may not be a benefit to all of us. I do want to pull up the statute. Uh, folks, as you know, here on this show, we like to dig into the actual verbiage. This is the verbiage. I think we may have covered it just a little bit the other day, but we're going to get deeper into it. There's a whole bunch of pieces, uh, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, that talk about the intent, and they are a difficult piece to prove. But the Section E is a little bit different. So you'll see this is the, the actual code. This comes from the CornellLaw.edu webpage, a very good resource if you are looking up federal codes. And it is about the gathering, transmitting, or losing of defense information. This and Section 794 constitute what is known as the Espionage Act. They go back to World War I. And if we scroll all the way down, you'll see past Section Delta. Once again, this is another one of those pieces that's about intent. We get down to the section which is related to the charges for Trump. And Section Echo, which is the same thing that Reality Winner was charged and convicted of and actually just got out of prison for, it says this, whoever having authorized process of access to control over, and then they list out all the types of things, documents, code books, signal books, sketches, models, maps, blah, 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 plans. Okay, those are all the types of things that it could be. And then it says here, um, this is national defense information, which the information, ha the, the possessor has a reasonable reason to believe that it could be used to injure the United States or could be used to the advantage of a foreign nation, and that person willfully transmits, communicates, so on, whatever, hands it off to a foreign nation. That's the espionage part of this. And that's sort of what they went after Reality Winner for. They're using the last clause of this particular section to go after Trump. And it'll be interesting to see if it holds any water. Because what they said having unauthorized access patrol, control or possession. Now, they acknowledge in the indictment that Trump was the president, and they don't actually allege that he didn't have the authorization to possess it. What they're, what they're going after is they're saying that he willfully retains the same and fails to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States who is entitled to receive it. That's the thing that they are hanging their hat on. It is after an or, and if you're looking on the, uh, the Rumble page right now, I'm actually going to highlight, this is how little of the statute they are looking at. And it is a not, not, 
uh, short statute. If you look through the entire scrolling, you'll notice the entirety of this particular page. This little line right here is what it all hinges upon based on the indictment. I think that's really interesting. I think it's also um, kind of shows us the sort of witch hunt that we are dealing with, which is to say that without identifying the man, without picking the man and then finding the crime, this is not something that ever comes up. This is a negotiation that happens between all former presidents. I'm fully in favor of people being charged if they are in violation of law. I think that this is a stretch. This has always been a stretch. But moreover, this is a man who has been run down for seven plus years, and I am not the biggest fan of President Trump in many things that he does. There are ways that he communicates that I find to be very off-putting. I think that his issues are specific to him, and yet fairness should be the order of the day. Fairness needs to be the number one priority of people who work in the Justice Department. It was called out in the Durham report when uh, when the special prosecutor released the Durham report. What they what he said is <laughs> that the, that they didn't need new policies that they didn't need new um, rules or guidelines or specialized training. What they needed to do was hire people that worked for the FBI that could leave their partisan politics behind and do the job in an apolitical way. I'm paraphrasing a bit. This was his ultimate decision. This is the thing that he said was the biggest problem. The problem was people were not willing to uphold their oath. And that's what I want to dig much further into. That's the thing that I think is the critical problem. And in, more importantly, it is the thing that my buddies, the, su the suspendables, have highlighted. It's that you have to throw the flag. Now, all this stuff comes back to something that uh, I said in my first interview when I went public with Dan Bongino. And what I said was, towards the tail end of it on the second day, uh, this was a two-hour interview. For those of you who are not familiar with that interview, please go back and check it out. It was in September of last year. It's been kind of a wild ride since that time. But at the end of that interview, and I knew that I would bring it up at some point, I didn't know that it was going to be the last thing we talked about, but it turns out to be the culmination of it. If you get local law enforcement, state law enforcement, federal officials, and all of the minor government officials that are involved in this process of law enforcement as we know it, if you can get them on board and they are willing to do things that are illegal, immoral, or unethical on behalf of a political party, then you can walk directly into what we saw in 1930s and eventually 1940s Germany with the Nazi party coming in and trying to exterminate an entire group of people. There's a lot of talk right now about Nazis. I'm seeing it pop up on Twitter. I'm seeing the, uh, the allegation that this country is overrun by white supremacists. As someone who has done the investigations with those, who has been party to them, I didn't initiate them, but I got to go all over the country and we did 20 plus deployments on my team and a bunch more that I didn't go on because I only went on every other deployment, if that. I didn't go on every single one. They all came back with sort of the same attitude. The white supremacy cases were weak. They weren't strong. They didn't have the, the goods on these people because they weren't planning on being violent. These are people... Uh, the so-called white supremacists that the FBI investigates, whether they're Nazi uh, ideology, whether they're some sort of garden variety KKK nonsense, all these people tend to be sort of online racists who have no courage of their conviction, who do it from behind a monitor and a keyboard, and they are not trying to press it on the American public. They are not out there able to accomplish the things that they imagine. They just want to talk. And in America... Under the First Amendment, you have that freedom. 
you have the ability to go out and speak. You can say things that are awful. And it used to be that liberals in this country knew that. They used to defend it. They used to go and have the ACLU, a fully left-wing organization, they used to have them go to court and defend the rights of Nazis to parade. And why would that be? Because the First Amendment is not for your recipes. It's not for your empty platitudes. It's not for um, non-inflammatory servants. It is for people who say inflammatory things because inflammatory speech is the only speech that needs protecting. Nobody is going to shut down speech that is not inflammatory. And if you want to see how much that, that line has moved, try putting your stuff on YouTube. Like my buddy Ryan Matta, who's sitting in the chat right now, has had his his channels demonetized simply for showing speeches of the former president. If that is enough to demonetize you and get you removed from polite society, it's an othering or a dehumanizing effect. This is a person who doesn't deserve to have uh, their voice heard. When you deal with that in modern America, you are now trying to subjugate all of this stuff under these hate speech and other nonsensical um, rulings. Hate speech is the most protected part of our entire constitutional process. It's the reason the Bill of Rights exists. I can assure you that the British Crown considered talk against the Crown to be hate speech. It was inflammatory. It was anti-government. It was anti-authority. That will end you up on an FBI watch list right now. The FBI has an entire segment of their domestic violent extremist categories tagged for people that don't like government authority. And that's a fundamentally American. That is an American position to hold. Very dangerous, very scary stuff. I want to bring up and show you exactly what we're talking about when we uh, when we discuss the so-called Nazis that are in existence today. I'm going to bring this page up over here. Stand by. So this is a YouTube video. For those of you who are not seeing it, you may have already seen this thing on your uh, social media feeds. This is the so-called Nazis that are outside Disneyland. This is being run by USA Today. There's some commentary on it, which I will read. Okay. And... I'm going to play this. This this has 9,000 views so far. It's only 17 hours old. This was something that happened over the weekend. This was also publicized by a Florida representative in the state. And so without further ado, we're just going to run it. It's someone driving by the outside of Disneyland. Mexico. It says protesters wave Nazi flags, Ron DeSantis flags, and they were outside of Disneyland. They're protesting Disney. And then it says, DeSantis has been embroiled in a heated feud with Disney. They're gonna show the video again. The governor's office has not yet responded. There are some very crisp and clean Nazi flags. So what are they saying with that video? Why is that video on USA Today, which is a left-wing sort of talking point activist group? The answer is pretty clear. They are drawing a parallel connection, a direct connection between people who wave Nazi flags and Governor Ron DeSantis. Why is he such a threat to these people? Because Governor DeSantis wasn't on board with their COVID policies. Now, you don't have to get into the Trump-DeSantis debate. I refuse to. I think it's actually really foolish and childish. I don't actually care. But what I can say is that when you've got people like USA Today trying to get the governor to comment after he just signed a law that's supposed to protect people from anti-Semitic actions and so on, do those people look like they are advocating violence or that they are in danger of committing real violence? They're standing with brand new Nazi flags that were probably made in Chinese that are on enormous flagpoles. 
and either they spent a couple hundred dollars to get this stupid item that's that's never been in public before and wave it around, or you're dealing with something that is um, deliberately trying to inflame you. It's people that are that are either trolling or that uh, let's say they're real. They really believe in some sort of white supremacy and some really uh, awful ideology. What power do those people have? What ability do those people have to do anything about it? And in the meantime, the other end of it is this, guys. So here's another little uh, clip I'm going to show you. This came from Twitter. Some of you saw this the other day. These are the uh, the blood and soil. Actually, what's funny is this the particular clip comes from a uh, an account called MaskBlock614. And MaskBlock614, who I've never communicated with, I have no idea who in the world that is, uh, actually blocked me on Twitter from being able to access this. So I had to find it where somebody else had retweeted it. This is another guy who thinks that these are Nazi punks and they are terrorizing drag events. This is from Columbus, Ohio. So now you have Ohio and now you have Florida, apparently with legit, real Aryan-type Nazis. Let's play this and you tell me how realistic that sounds to you. If you're not watching on the Rumble channel, what you're seeing is a bunch of men wearing ski masks like Antifa. They're wearing black pants and heavy boots and matching red shirts, which have some sort of like Nordic thing on it. And some of them are carrying flags. And then there's this absurd dude wearing a uh, like a blazer with a shaved head and neck tattoos. So here we go. Just do it for me right now. Anyway. I've got Big sign that says there will be blood. All right, and we don't need too much more of that. He's wearing a bright red blazer, strolling around with a black jacket on. They have matching outfits, and he's screaming, there will be, and his his crowd says blood. And there's probably, I don't know, 20 of them, and they all look relatively fit, and uh, some of them have shaved heads. And that's apparently the Nazi threat. That is the evidence that you have that we are dealing with a significant problem with Nazis in this country. And if you want to know how serious it is, just consider that those same red and black colors were also used when President Biden stood out in front of Independence Hall not too long ago and gave the so-called red speech. So maybe they've gotten their, their wires crossed. In the meantime, you've got people like this child. His name is Harry Sisson. He's 20 years old. And in previous generations, 20-year-old males fought for freedom in the jungles of Vietnam. They tried to help that situation. Whether or not they understood what America was about, they went and did the job that they were asked to do. They've done it in World War II. They've done it in Korea. They've done it in World War I. It's men that are his age. And so we say he's a child because we've infantilized an entire generation this year uh, this uh, at this time frame. But we're talking about someone who could have been old enough, who is certainly old enough to be drafted and would have been not the youngest person who could have gone and fallen and died. There were people that lied about their age, 16 and 17 year olds, to get into the draft to go and fight against actual Nazis. In the meantime, you've got this child. Now, I find him to be atrocious and personally off-putting. I think it's worth knowing if you've never heard his voice before, if you've never seen him, uh, check him out. Check out what we're dealing with here. This is Harry Sisson. I was in a uh, Twitter space again the other night and he was yelling like, shut the F up to Seb Gorka. 
uh, an actual grown-up. And in the meantime, this is the kind of talk that he has. He's very, very direct. He's obviously well-rehearsed. And apparently he's paid a six-figure salary to do this on behalf of the Democrat Party while he's going to college. He's got like a little boyfriend who looks the same as him. My wife actually could not uh, tell the difference between the two of them. One of them has like blondish hair and is like a weak hype man. And then you've got this kid. So this is what he has to say about um, the Republican Party because they are working very hard to other and we're going to discuss that in just a second here. So here's Harry Sisson's take, uh, 25 seconds from yesterday or the day before. Yesterday. Let's make something abundantly clear. The Republicans who are attacking President Biden for flying the pride flag outside of the White House are the same Republicans who stayed silent while white supremacist flags were being flown outside of Disney in Florida this weekend. They go after the pride flag, which symbolizes pride in oneself, but stay quiet on the others, which symbolize hate and bigotry. Look, the Republican Party continues to be on the wrong side of history, and that is how we should remember them. Let's. So there you go. That's the take on it. Those are the same exact Nazi flags that you saw hanging around uh, outside of Disneyland. He's going to make a big issue of it because people are upset about these rainbow flags hanging on the White House. My buddy sent me a picture. Actually, Garrett O'Boyle sent me a picture either. I think it was yesterday. And he said, uh, how can you say this is not a religion when they are putting it on either side, uh, right in the middle of the American flag, making it the center focus, the pride flag in the middle of June? Uh, it is not about pride in yourself. What it is, is co-opting a biblical symbol, which says that uh, it's a covenant and a forgiveness for all the sins of humanity, that basically it was the first opening sign that in the heavens they placed that he would not kill all people again. That's what Christians believe. That's what the Jews believe, that this, this symbol of the rainbow was a promise from God. And they've taken it and co-opted it, they being the uh, the radical sort of trans and 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 uh, gay agenda and and here's the thing I have a lot of sympathies for people that are gay that want to live their life I as a Christian I have no business judging them I think that is the actual position we need to take on not our business not our business to to judge other people and more often than not I would say that there are people in the gay and the lesbian community who have looked around at what's going on with this massively bizarre uh, trans push and see that their movement has been co-opted. And I think there's actually fertile grounds to convert them back to at least having the same objective reality discussion. I think that's really important. I think that there is a space there to have that conversation. If they want to do things in their adult bedrooms with other adults that have nothing to do with me, you're not going to hear me complain about it. I, I literally do not care. If you want to go out there and try to indoctrinate children and wear puppy masks uh, where children are gathered for a parade, we might have a different sort of issue. But in this case, it's not about pride in oneself. It seems absurd that you can be proud of something that they claim is innate and you have no choice. You can't be proud of your skin color. You can't be proud of your hair color. I'm not proud of having blue eyes. It's irrelevant. So this is sort of this one of uh, one of these little um, gaslighting tips they like to use. And in the meantime, they're going to try to act like there are a lot of Nazis when, in fact, I think we saw all the Nazis on those two videos that you're going to see and none of them are doing anything violent and they're all sort of ridiculous and absurd. They're waving brand new flags, like I said, that were just purchased from Chinese that just got shipped in. They ironed them out so they looked great, and then they put them on a big flagpole, and they stood out in public just to catch a little bit of YouTube fame. Pretty weak stuff. Um, that is that is all to say that when they are accusing you of something, we've talked about projection here before, when you get accused of of being something by the political left, which is not as much a political movement as it is a secular theology— I had a discussion with someone the other day, and in fact, I'm going to be filming a small sort of, I don't know, like a Prager U type talk this week. 
And the discussion is sort of circulates around the following. When people on the right, they used to say that uh, that people on the left think people on the right are bad people. And um, and people on the right think people on the left have bad ideas. This is sort of something that Dan Bongino gets into deeply. Um, and we know that's not the case anymore because what is coming out is this religious discussion. We're not talking about politics anymore. People on the right are trying to have a policy discussion about what is done, how money should be spent, how government programs should be instituted. And people on the left are having a theological debate with you. And if you do not come armed with that, they have a faith, they have a priesthood, and you are a heretic to those things. And you know what happened to heretics going through the Middle Ages in Christianity. They were burned. They were excommunicated. They were left out of polite society and not allowed to continue. A lot of these things are happening, but in a digital way. Uh, and people like Ryan, who was just talking about his his uh, channel being demonetized and being pulled off, despite the fact that it was generating enough income for him to live on, that's a big piece of it. Some of that is happening. Uh, I can see that there's a lot of agreement over in the chat. You guys are getting riled up. This has got uh, this is as lively a discussion as anybody has had, and a lot of it comes down to people do not want this stuff shoved down their throats. Now, um, I'm going to do a, a quicker transition over here. We're going to talk about a piece of history, and we're going to look forward on it. And this is something that some of you may have heard before. I've actually done interviews where it's brought up. This is a focal point that Garrett O'Boyle has gotten into in a deep way. This is the the real example, and it's probably the cleanest example. It's a case study in what happens when people who are involved in enforcing the law and are supposed to be a neutral and apolitical observer, when they get involved in actually taking part in atrocities. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen overnight. The great case example comes from the Reserve Police Battalion 101. This is something that has been studied by um, the book that was known as Ordinary Men. It's by a World War II historian named Christopher Browning. And we can go ahead and just talk about this. This particular article was updated in 2020. So this was um, under Trump. It doesn't matter about when it happened because the, the events happened in the uh, the late 30s. And so the question is always posed, and he starts off his article with this. What kind of person kills civilians, including old people and babies, all day long? How do you become that thing, that Nazi? We keep hearing that they're everywhere. How do you become a Nazi that's willing to commit atrocities? And it's really important. It's really important to understand that it's not some special superhuman evil. It's everyday evil. It's known as the banality of evil, which is to say it's people that are administrators that are trying to maximize their role and their capabilities within their position. In the mid-1930s, I'm just quoting right here, the Nazis began to provide military-style training to uniformed police, and after 1939, they sent dozens of police battalions east to, to support the war against Jewish Bolshevism. So they, they named them something. They said that they were part of the communist uprising, and they waged this war this Germany, the German army, and the Einsatzgruppen, the Reserve Police Battalion 1000, I'm sorry, 101, was made up of the German equivalent of city policemen and county sheriff's deputies. They were assigned to a district in Poland. This story, you don't, we don't have to get into the entirety of it, but essentially they started off by getting these people small orders. They had to go and they had to round up names. Then they had to evict those people from the places they lived. These people were all Jews, obviously. These were the undesirables. They started moving them along with administrative work. And at the end of it, they got to the point where they were rounding up Jews to take off to the death camps and the work camps. And those that were too sick, too frail to walk, too, people that were too small, infants, 
People that offered resistance were shot on the spot by the non-commissioned officers. That is the most evil form that you can imagine. Men who are charged with keeping the peace, who are charged with basic law enforcement, who are charged with providing security, the security that the state promises, and they were in turn killing infants because the infants couldn't walk. They were killing old people because they were too slow or they offered verbal resistance to what their charge was. And their charge was very simple. It's like, get all these people, put them all in these, these uh, boxcars. They are going somewhere. Where they're going is irrelevant. And they did their job. We're going to get a lot more into that. I want to show you a photograph here. This is the, uh, this is the men of that particular battalion. They were uh, celebrating Christmas. They're not monsters, as you can see. They're normal. They're men. They have eyes and nose and lips. They have friendships. They have laughter. There are people that are embracing the camera there. They are having a beverage. They're just kind of doing the thing that men might do, as you might imagine. They are human beings that chose to execute their fellow man because they were given orders to start off with getting names. Now, we saw a lot of that stuff. We saw a lot of that stuff in the last couple of years. And if you're not aware of it, and this was something that hit very aggressively home to those of us that are in the suspendables, we've all shared the same story. There are a couple hundred FBI employees that I was able to gather up. All right. We gathered all of them simply because they were people that were religious and they did not want to get COVID vaccine shots. That was their line. Whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. They had a choice. They have, uh, they have the right under U.S. law, under Title VII, to request a religious accommodation. If the government cannot provide it, then they can be eliminated from their position. This was the position that I held. I said, no problem. You can take my job, but I am not going to do the thing you asked. What do you want to do next? And the real danger was, is that the, our federal government did not have the courage of its convictions. It knew that it wanted people to comply. This came down from the Justice Department. This came down from the administrators like Lee Loftus. It came down from the... Uh, the Basically, it was just below the attorney general. These were the assistant attorney generals, the AAGs, or the deputy attorney generals. They were all out there pushing this strongly. Why is intent? We can't determine that. But what we can see was, is anybody that did not bow, bend the knee, and do what they were told had a secondary option. You could test for COVID every 72 hours, which is illogical, absurd, and there is no medical behind it. But you must. And you must tell us whether or not you chose to comply. They got a list in the same way that the, this police battalion 101 got a list. Those men went out and got names, and then they evicted them. We got names in the FBI, and then they started evicting people who were not going to be playing ball. I was one of those people. It was early on. There's another piece that's really relevant. I found out over the weekend that there are over... 700 internal investigations into FBI agents that is happening right now in the FBI security division. The same division that ousted me, that ousted Steve Friend, that ousted Phil Kennedy, that ousted Marcus Allen, that ousted a, a handful of those that you don't know, and ousted Garrett O'Boyle. That entity is now investigating 700 FBI agents per the reporting that I got, and I've got it from multiple sources. 700 agents is 5%. Generally speaking, what we found was there were about 10% of all FBI employees who resisted getting the vaccine shots. Half of them now, at least, are on the chopping block on the agent side. That should scare the living hell out of you. That means that 95% of the agents are not a problem to them. 
And that's about right. What we find is a very small number of people are willing to stand up and resist the tyranny when they see it. Very scary stuff. Let's go a little bit further with that. They are recruiting. There are so many investigations that they are actually recruiting people to, to be part of this investigative group. This is what you talk about. When we talk about Police Battalion 101, they had to recruit people. They had to take people that had jobs that were not doing this, and they got them to buy in. Who are the people that they're trying to recruit? It is going out internally to FBI agents working at our headquarters unit, of which there are hundreds. And they are bringing them on because they have, quote, serious investigations into FBI employees. These, uh, these types of investigations are the problem. They are investigating these people so they can hold them at, in abeyance. And at any moment, they can drop them from their job because they need compliance. That is how you get a police battalion of ordinary men going out and shooting babies in the back of the head. All right. It's really scary stuff. Now, there is a blueprint for this, and this is not new. This is an article that was written in 2019. This is written by a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, which is obviously no right-wing organization. This comes from the print, the print.in. It's an opinion piece, but it actually lays into a number of historical facts. And it is written by Manish Tiwari. This article is entitled, How Judiciary helped Hitler and Stalin in destroying political opposition. It's time to pay attention. When I tell you that the most important thing is what's going on in the FBI, when I tell you that I'm worried about what's going on in the DOJ, it is because this is a blueprint that has been used before. This is not new stuff. You have to take over the court system. You have to get them to buy in if you want to have partisanship and you want to start eliminating your political opponents. If you're not watching our Rumble channel, what you're seeing right now is a picture of Adolf Hitler, and this thing starts off, any democracy is as strong or as weak as the institutions that underpin its edifice. When democracy is subverted, it is the institutional reliability of the judicial system that is dismantled first. Why? Because the judicial system is where people look for fundamental fairness. It is where they are looking to see are we tilting from one side or another? If you do not get the judicial system on board, you'll have a problem. And the second thing about it is, is the judicial system also has the ability of the state to execute power domestically. We are not talking about whether or not the military will come in and do something. We're talking about the armed forces that exist within your government. And that is going to be your police and your federal investigators. In this case, he says, a grand sweep of history bears testimony on these maxims whenever judicial independence is undermined, tyranny, chaos, and then anarchy in that order are the inevitable corollaries. That is some powerful and important stuff. He goes on to discuss exactly how this happened. There were various aspects of Nazi rule from 1933 to 1945 that have received copious amounts of information and attention in the form of books, documentaries, films, and a wide range of scholastic analysis. Forgotten, however, was the period of systematic destruction of the independent judicial system. Before the Nazis first appropriated dominance in 1933, Adolf Hitler did not wax eloquent about the judiciary or against it. It was due to the fact that the German legal system was both federal in character, much like ours, and deeply embedded in the classical Western legal tradition of autonomous judiciary, both at the base and its pinnacle. The idea of an independent judiciary is critical. I'm seeing in the chat you're mentioning the, the uh, Kurt Slichter article in Town Hall. That is my final piece here, so stick around. You don't want to miss what I'm going to be bringing it all home with. But if you haven't read that, it's very important. How did this all start? Things came to a head within three weeks of Hitler being sworn in as the chancellor in what is known as the Reichstag fire. Many of you are familiar with the Reichstag fire. It was a staged political theater that showed that the German Republic was under attack. 
by those on the inside, and they went out there to convict communists, even though this was a staged thing. Many of us have drawn similar, and it was immediately apparent to those of us who keep track of history, January 6th in the United States, January 6th, 2021, was our Reichstag fire for this particular progression. It's incredibly dangerous stuff when you start weaponizing your justice system. And that is what we're talking about. It said that Hitler had the unexpressed expectation that judges would find a sinister and ambitious conspiracy unambitious conspiracy uh, by the communists behind the Reichstag fire, but the judges convicted only a single communist. He expected something and they did not deliver it. And so then he began to push this thing forward. They ended up creating a parallel court system, a secret court system, and then they began pushing down on those who were in the actual German uh, judiciary. And he said in a speech This is in 1942, 26 April 1942. Hitler said, quote, I expect the German legal profession to understand that the nation is not here for them, but they are here for the nation. Think about this language. You're going to be hearing it. We're already hearing it. And from now on, I shall intervene in these cases and remove from office those judges who evidently do not understand the demand of the hour. When someone tells you we must suspend democracy, when we must suspend our constitutional republic, when we must suspend the Bill of Rights in order to protect the Bill of Rights, in order to protect our democratic process, you should be terrified. This has been said before. Okay, I'm going to switch over to another article really quickly. This comes from the uh, the Encyclopedia of the United States Holocaust Museum. It's the Holocaust Memorial. This is entitled... First letters to all judges. From 1942 until the end of the war, the Nazi court system became more and more of a state vehicle for injustice and persecution. And there was a series of letters to all judges that was presented, uh, and they answered the political questions, and they helped with the legal interpretation of Nazi laws. The first of those letters concerned the application of the death penalty. This is a playbook, as Jigsaw just said in the chat. It's a playbook that has been executed previously. This should scare the living hell out of you. These letters started coming out because they needed the independent judiciary to move beyond what they were used to doing and start supporting the state in no uncertain in no uncertain ways. And they needed to do it overtly, and they needed to do it staunchly and strongly. And people either decided to stand up and get uh, eliminated, or they went along with it, and they took their pay, and they continued to work for the state. Let's see here. Here's a couple of little pieces. The people want an independent judge, the administration of justice, and the state would lose all legitimacy if the people believe judges had to decide in a particular way. And yet, that's exactly what they were telling them to do. You guys can read these things. If you do not go to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum and their Holocaust Encyclopedia, you're missing out on an excellent resource. Um, Let's just read this little piece written by the Ministry of Justice, which is exactly what my friend Garrett O'Boyle refers to the DOJ as right now, the Ministry of Justice, because they are actually ministering it. They are not they are not an American Department of Justice the way they have been historically. Incredibly dangerous. And I'll give you one more piece on top of that. Let me tell you this. This weekend, I found out that the DOJ, and specifically the FBI in it, sent out letters or uh, emails to all employees saying that they had to report in by 9 a.m. to their field offices and say that they were okay. They had to let everyone know that they were okay at the beginning of every day during the weekend because there is a quote-unquote increased threat level to FBI employees. They are creating that, that culture of fear. They are actually trying to drive employees of the FBI against those around them that anybody might be coming for the FBI 
Not that the FBI is coming for us, which is what we are actually seeing. It's really dangerous because they are now radicalizing them internally, saying that they are going to target you and your families and you may be in danger. Report to us and make sure that we're okay. There is no materialized threat to the FBI. They are creating it out of whole cloth in the same way they created the white supremacy threat. Think about how many white supremacists have threatened you in your life. Think about any threat of white supremacy you've ever seen as you go shopping at a grocery store, as you move around in the world. It's not there. It is a is a phantom menace. They actually did this in Star Wars, for those of you who love that sort of thing. These, the idea is you create a fictional and an easily defeatable straw man argument, and then you get everyone riled up and whipped up and scared. Go watch V for Vendetta. It was a fun movie where it was talking about how the conservatives have somehow seized Britain and did it, and they became fascists. It's not the conservative party, folks, that is doing this thing. The red and the black are pretty old. They are almost always the colors they love because they are the colors of tyranny. And that just go look at the red speech of Biden and then go watch the the Supreme Chancellor in V for Vendetta. You will see a 100% clean parallel. Old men yelling at the sky about the fear and danger that you must feel. Really, really scary stuff. Absolutely damning if you are paying attention. You have to get your eyes opened. You have to be paying attention. I'm going to show you this article lastly here because we're going to come to the final end of this thing. This has been kind of one of those shows where I was like, this is this is coming. It's just it has to be done. Here it is right now. Kurt Schlichter, as mentioned earlier, town hall article dated today. They will turn on you. This is an opinion column. Obviously, it's Kurt Schlichter's opinion. I share almost all of it. He opens up Chairman Mao, the unspoken hero of our garbage ruling cast, understood that power flows from the barrel of a gun. I know Dan Bongino likes to say this all the time. They know it too. And it's not unreasonable to wonder whether institutions in America that carry guns, that's the law enforcement and military, who are supposed to protect us, will turn those guns on us if commanded to do so by the ruling elite. This is the question he's asking. This is the question. And so, what is the answer? We've already seen it. I just showed you the Reserve Police Battalion 101. They did it in Poland. It's been done before. Here is another piece of it. Stop wondering. The answer is that to a greater extent than those of us who grew up in America when it was a free country, before it became the present crypto leftist tyranny, want to admit we know they will. Right now, they are hiding news that undermines their rules. They're censoring opponents. They're locking up political dissidents. And eventually, when the current junta feels truly threatened by the emerging backlash of patriotic citizens, too many of these alleged protectors, alleged protectors are the cops. They are the... They are the federal law enforcement. I actually think local cops are probably the solution to a lot of this. They will kill further masters. And I mean more than just the occasional and totally unpunished massacres of the unapproved dissonance like Waco and Ruby Ridge. This is Kurt's opinion. Is he correct? I think he is because we're talking about a theological debate. I'm going to skip a paragraph and go right down here. He's talking about the guardrails have been pulled off. SWAT teams going and busting abortion, uh, people praying outside of abortion clinics. We've seen all this stuff. The police state as it's being called. That is what we're talking about. A police state is a law enforcement entity that has secret intelligence powers that's going to root out the things that are against the regime. It's the reason why I started this podcast in every way, shape, or form. This is the reason. This is what the suspendables stand for. And many of you are in that rank, and you are all, you're going to be targets of this, whether you like it or not. And you're going to have to be put to a decision for your chips. For those of you that are in law enforcement, those of you who have been retired, you know that there are people still in there and you know that they're willing to keep doing what they're told in order to keep their paycheck. That's how you ended up at the Holocaust. People doing their jobs 
just following orders. I'm going to get a little bit further into this. He says, remember, we are not political opponents. I told you this is a theological debate. We're monsters, not even human. And dehumanization is the first step towards murder. Think about all the things they did when they were telling you that it was going to be a, uh, a winter of, of severe illness and death for the unvaccinated, that we are about fed up and our patience is, is over with the unvaccinated, those who decided to exercise their own medical choice and their own religious liberties and choose to do the thing that their conscience told them. Now you're a problem. Now you're the one who's killing people. They have othered you. It's when they take you and they put you on a different plane. You are not uh, the same as all the other people. They've dehumanized and it's the first step towards murder because once you realize that you are killing off not people, but unvaccinated. You're killing off right-wing extremists. You're killing off Nazis. You're killing off white supremacists. There's a famous Cat Williams um, comedy routine where he's walking around. Cat Williams is a funny, you know, uh, sort of foul-mouthed comedian who does a great job of saying something about how the Iraq war was pitched to us that they were going to go and kill off all of the insurgents. And he said, people over there smoking weed would go, well, that's fine. Kill all the insurgents. I don't even know one single insurgent. I don't have a single insurgent friend. That's what they're looking for. They want to make it sound like you are an isolated case and that doesn't exist. Really terrifying. And in this hideous propaganda, we're going back to Kurt's piece, memorably delivered by the brain-dead corrupt husk on TV against an ominous red and black background. I'm telling you, red and black, there it is again. We are extremists, terrorists, enemies of democracy, and regardless of skin tone, we are white supremacists. That's what they're claiming. The claim is that Indian people are white supremacists, that Mexican people are white supremacists, that people who have different skin color, who are black, are white supremacists. They are the white, black, brown, take your color pick face of white supremacy. That should scare the crap out of you. And then he brings out some other things. Remember Ashley Babbitt, Air Force veteran and a mother, and how they delighted that she was killed? Gleefully, they celebrated the fact that it happened. And did we get a, uh, a real investigation into whether or not her killer was someone that followed his deadly force policy? I didn't hear it. Like I said, I sat around a panel with FBI agents with decades of experience combined, probably over 100 years combined experience at that table, including people that had military, that had uh, other law enforcement jobs, and nobody could justify what happened in the Capitol on January 6th with that shot. That's not to say that Ashley Babbitt could not have developed into a deadly threat scenario. But as it was shot, and the, at the moment it happened, there is an imminence requirement. It had to be right then. When the shot was taken, you have to be able to establish that she was an imminent threat of death or serious physical injury to one of those officers or somebody around them. And I don't think you can do it. And we didn't see it happen. It's terrifying. So they went out and they delighted in her murder, which that's what a murder looks like. A murder looks like an unjustifiable killing, something that's against the law. Here's what he says. Here's another piece from Kurt. We thought that we could rely on members of those institutions to refuse the commands of their leaders if those leaders turned upon them and, or try to turn them upon their citizens. We properly hanged Nazis. This is the Nuremberg trials for, quote unquote, just obeying orders and established a personal responsibility not to be a cog in the gears of tyranny. But if you look at the law enforcement agency today, you look at the disgraced FBI. I keep banging this drum, but it's true. The organization differs from the Stasi only in that many of their members are fatter. He has a picture of the what we call Neil Team Six. I don't even want to click on it right now. Some of them are fatter. That's the only upside is that they're not the most fit and the most capable. And the ones that are, hopefully, they understand what their oath means. But I can't swear to it because they keep working there. And they keep doing these things. And they keep showing up. Now, a lot of them are not trying to do the wrong thing. But they are doing their job. The agents have accepted pursuing political opponents, framing a, a president, and all manners of lies and deceptions. And they, we know they accept it because they don't resign. 
He mentions a few whistleblowers, yours truly being one, have come forward. But the vast majority have stayed at their posts, participating either indirectly or even directly in the oppression. That is the hallmark of a modern ministry of truth, a ministry of justice. We can only hope that those few bad apples don't get contaminated by the barrel full of bad ones. And why do they do it? Here it is. I've been saying this for months. I've been saying this since probably since I started coming out public, but even before that, we spoke about human weakness, an investment in shabby careers, eyeing a pension, going along, following orders just to get along. And if you think that given the order and the chance they will not pull the trigger for the ruling class, then he says he has a burnt patch of Texas dirt to sell you cheaply. I'll take the patch of Texas dirt, to be fair. I'll take it in a heartbeat. But he's correct. Incredibly dangerous, incredibly difficult to face. And yet, there is no reason that you should trust that the vast majority of those, at least in the federal law enforcement system, will not do what they are told. I think they will. I think that we've proven it. I think that we can see it. And if you're not aware, you need to open your eyes right now. Get on board. This is incredibly dangerous. That means you need to talk to your local sheriff. You need to talk to your local police chief. You need to go out there and meet the deputies that patrol your area, the police officers that patrol your area, and let them know that you're a human being. Get to know them as a per person. Don't be a nameless face. This starts local because that's the hardest thing to do. You need to be part of us. If they make you a them, as Jenny just said in our chat, if they make you a them, then you're very easy to eliminate. And it's really, really scary stuff. It's incredibly dangerous. I'm going to uh, read you one of our five-star reviews. We're going to wrap this show up. I want you guys to uh, think about it. I'll put some of these um, I'll put some of these down there in the comments, and I may actually add them to the show notes, particularly Kurt's piece. If you follow me on Twitter, you can find some of the stuff we've been putting out. Uh, there's a an ongoing piece right now stating that uh, all of the FBI directors have been Republicans, so what are we complaining about? And my response was just a laughing, uh, you know, a laughing emoji and a picture of James Comey from his own Twitter account where he's wearing like Biden inaction figure campaign stuff from 2020, saying that President Biden is the only person that you can vote for. If you think that they can accept reality when given photographic proof of the opposite of what they say, they cannot because it's a religion. These people cannot be turned easily. So you need to go out there and get people that are on the fence and get them at least in the question mode as opposed to the accepting orders mode. It's really, really important stuff. All right. Uh, let's read one of these five-star reviews. Folks, if you want to go and follow us on uh, Apple, you can do it on Spotify. You can do it on iHeartRadio. Those are the three biggest apps that we're on. We're on a bunch of other ones. You can talk to your Alexa spyware and say, uh, play the Kyle Serafin show, and it will. I don't recommend spyware in general, but it's out there. Uh, let's read this one. came in Wednesday. We're now at over 545 star reviews with an average rating of 5.0. Really excellent stuff. That's you all. And I do really appreciate you guys putting this stuff out here. Let's read this one from Gabby G. It says, great show, very informative. Love the show. I even listen to the long songs or the long shows that I normally wouldn't make time for on other podcasts because they're very interesting. Gabby, we appreciate it. I know the shows do get long sometimes. I try to keep it to the hour mark. I could do this. I could do this for multiple hours a day. And, uh, and yet we got to shut it down at some point in time. Um, all that said, we, uh, I'm appreciative of what you guys are, are supporting. Please hit that subscribe button. Hit the like if you're on Rumble. Please share it on your social medias, particularly shows like this one. This one, I think, is something everybody should be hearing. If you're not aware of this, if you're not reading these articles on your own, if they're not popping up in your news feed, then I'm going to bring them to your attention. And I really need us to, to be aware so that we don't end up in those sort of atrocities. And uh, until then, I'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday. And I'm appreciative of you spending your morning with me. We'll talk to you very, very soon. 
Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash kyleserafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.